We're in a series through uh, the New Testament book of 2 Timothy, have been for some time. We have three more Sundays in this counting today. And and then I'm uh, excited to let you know, family, uh, that on February the 11th, we'll be launching a brand new series to the Old Testament book of Ruth. And so uh, really excited about that. We'll let you know more about that next week. But right now we're in 2 Timothy 4. And uh, I just wanna go ahead and, and just say it, deal with it head on past week. So on Monday, I was doing what a lot of y'all were doing. I was preparing to watch the most significant college football game in the history of the world. Okay, however I was at the house and getting ready to watch the Georgia Bulldogs versus the Alabama Crimson Tide. (laughs) Repent. (laughs) Alabama Crimson Tide, also, also known as the Evil Empire also known as the Babylonian kingdom, also known as the enemy of all that's good in the world. Um, so there we, there we were, and, and I'm with my wife, Heather, and, and our two girls, and we're at the house, man, and we're getting ready to watch this game. We got finger foods. We got, everything's ready, man. Everything's ready for the game to come on. And y'all don't understand, man, lifelong Georgia fan, my entire life has been ramping up for this game right? The, the entire thing has been preparing for this. And so here I am getting ready to watch this game. The whole family, we've got our red and black on. We're, we're excited about it. And, 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 and I'm not kidding you. Uh, it's about 10 minutes before the game comes on, power goes out. <laughs> like, like, like total blackout in our house. And, and I'm, I'm sitting there and I'm trying to breathe. And I'm, internally, I'm saying, don't freak out. Your kids are in the room. Um, and, but but I'm, I'm really sweating it because I'm thinking, man, again, my, my, my entire life's been ramping up for this moment and Georgia Power's ruining it right now. What are we gonna do? This is not good. And, and thankfully, thankfully, I don't know, about five minutes later, uh, the power came back on. <laughs> and then about four hours after that, I was wishing the power had stayed off, right? Because Georgia Bulldogs, greatest team in, in history of college football, loses in overtime, and, and, and it was devastating. De- I don't know about you. I'd rather, I'd rather the score be 50 to nothing in the first quarter than to lose that way, right? Just, just totally like, like tease me and then break my heart at the end. And I'm telling you, family, this messed with me. And I'm not afraid and ashamed, to be honest with you, church, about my, my idolatrous tendencies in my heart. I know. I get it. I love it too much, and I repent, okay? But I woke up the next morning and I woke up sad. You know what I'm saying? I woke up sad. Like I woke up and I think it was actually a tear right here. It was, it was, I, I just, it was a gloomy feeling that I had, man. Even the weather was sad. You notice that? Even the weather, like the weather didn't help. It was, it was drizzling and gray and, and foggy. It was like the angels of heaven were crying, right? It was just like, what in the world? And Somehow, man, somehow I, I was able to uh, get myself prepared to take my, my oldest daughter to school. And so I, I get ready and I take her to school, I drive her to school. And, uh, you know, here I am. I don't, I'm not even talking, right? I'm just in, I'm just in, a, in a daze. And, 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 and I'm, I drop her off at school and then I head up here. I'm, I'm heading up to the church to get some work done. And, and, and I was just depressed, man. I was just, oh, I just, I don't know. I just wanted to stay in bed the whole day. I just had this feeling. And that's when I saw it. I'm driving down the road and I saw it. Um, the hot now light was on at Krispy Kreme. <laughs> it's just right there, man. Don't ever, don't, y'all listen, don't ever drive by Krispy Kreme when you're sad. Because I saw this hot now light on and, and, and my, my instant thought was, I'm sad, but that will make me happy. 
A true story, family. Here's the idea. I went through the drive-thru and I ordered me. It's just me in the car. It's just me. I ordered me a dozen hot glazed donuts. And I had no intention of sharing them with anybody at this church, right? I ordered me the dozen and a small coffee. And I drove up here and I went to my office next door upstairs and I sat in my office, y'all, and I self-medicated my sadness with fried dough and hot glaze. And I, I'm not lying, y'all. Within 15 minutes, eight donuts were gone. Eight. But my happiness was back, right? Now, now here's why I tell you that story, family. Watch this. Have you ever noticed, and I think this week has been a good example of this for all of us, by the way, or for a lot of us. Have you ever noticed how, uh, how distraught and miserable and frustrated, like we all tend to become about our first world problems? Anybody know what I'm talking about? And here's the deal. Maybe you're out there and you're like, well, what's the first world problem? So let me explain. Most of you know, right? But, 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 but just to explain, man, when we talk about first world problems, these first world problems, what we're talking about, man, is like, they're like these problems that in our culture, in our Western American kind of culture, we, these problems that we think we have, we think that they're problems, but here's the deal. If we actually compare them to the rest of the problems in the world, they're really not problems at all. But we think they're problems, so we complain about them. We allow ourselves, we allow them to affect us, and we get all bummed out about these first world problems. So, for example, family, first world problems are things like, you know, things like what we talked about uh, when, my, when my favorite team doesn't win the big game. Or, or like a first world problem might be, you know, when my, when my Wi Fi connection is slow. Ugh. Or how, how about this? It's, it, first world problems, like, it's when I drive through the drive through line at the McDonald's and they give me a hamburger instead of a cheeseburger. Right? God, why have you forsaken me? Right? Just like, it's frustrating. Get all bummed out. First world problems, it's like, a first world problem is like when my, it's when my dishwasher's running so loud that I actually have to turn up the volume on my flat screen. How inconvenient. It's crazy, man. Like how often, think about it, man. How often do we get so frustrated and so affected and so upset and so discouraged over these little, tiny, like inconsequential, insignificant first world problems? Now, just you know, beloved, watch this. That's what brings us to 2 Timothy 4, okay? All that's what brings us to to where we're gonna be at this morning because watch this, family. Like, Like here in these verses, the Apostle Paul does absolutely amazing thing like he's he's writing this letter to his best friend in the world this this young pastor Timothy right Timothy's a, a pastor in the Greek city of Ephesus and, and we've talked about for the past few weeks like Paul remember Paul's in prison and, and you saw the video right he's he's tra- he's locked up in a Roman dungeon because he loves Jesus follows Jesus preaches Jesus wants other people to know Jesus Nero the emperor doesn't like that a whole lot so they chain him up and they throw him in this Roman dungeon and Paul knows that he's going to die soon Like if you knew that in just a few weeks or in just a couple months that you would die, what would you write to the person you love most? What would you want to say? What would you want to communicate to the people you love the most in this world? Well, that's that's Paul's predicament. And so he's writing this letter to his best friend in the world, Timothy. And and the crazy thing is in these verses that we're going to be in here in the next few minutes, family, what we're going to see is this. Paul is faced with a real problem, Okay. A real problem. This isn't a first world problem. This isn't like a lame problem that he kind of makes a big deal, but really isn't that big of a deal like, like we often do. Paul, this brother Paul is faced with a legit problem. It is a real 
problem. And yet, here's what's so fascinating, and yet, instead of losing heart, and instead of kind of losing his grip, and instead of losing his mind and kind of freaking out, what's he do? He keeps, listen, he keeps his eyes on Jesus. In the midst of it all, in the midst of the storm, he keeps his eyes on Jesus. And it is a powerful, a powerful example for every single one of us. So, so I want you to see this. Let me show you what I'm talking about, family. 2 Timothy 4, and again, pick it up in verse one. We left off at the final verse in chapter three last week. And, and before we dive in, just in case you weren't here last week, like here's what you need to know. At the end of um, chapter three, the apostle Paul has just made a, uh, a powerful, staggering, and even, even controversial statement. In 2 Timothy 3, and specifically in verse, in verse 16, the apostle Paul said this. He, and some of you remember from last week, Paul, Paul said this. He said, help me out. He said, all scripture is what, family? God breathed. And we just think about this. This is what Paul threw on us like at the end of chapter three. He says, man, all scripture is God breathed. All scripture, follow this, all scripture meaning the entire Bible is breathed out by God. It's from God. It's, in other words, family, get this. In other words, the powerful point that our boy Paul's making by saying this is this. The word of God, listen, the word of God is the heart of God. This is the foundational point that Paul's making. The word of God is the heart of God. In other words, family, this Bible that I'm holding in my hands right now, according to the Apostle Paul, is absolutely perfect. It is what we call infallible. It is inerrant without error. It is absolutely worthy to be trusted and worthy to be loved. And according to Paul, man, this book is totally sufficient for every single generation of mankind, no matter when they're born or where they're born or what color their skin may be or how much money they might make a year. This book is totally sufficient for every single generation because it is the word of God and it is the heart of God and God never changes. I want you to get what a foundational point this is because this leads us into chapter four, family. Get, get how heavy this is because, because what this means is that this book right here, this book we, we teach from, we preach from every single Sunday, it's not just some, listen, it's not, it's not just some ancient Middle Eastern self-help manual, but instead this book, the Bible, is the very voice of God. This is what Paul means when he says it's God breathed. It's from the mouth of God. It's from the inside of God. It's from the heart of God. It's, it's the voice of God. Meaning, think about this, meaning every time you read it, this is God talking, right? Every time you hear it read, it's God talking. Every time you quote a verse, it's God talking. Every, every time you remember a verse that you've read before, it's it's God talking. Every time you hear it preached rightly, it's, it's God talking. I mean, this is what this means. And this is really important, family, because what this all means is this. Like, get this, follow this. If the Bible really is God breathed, let's just, let's just reason together for a second. If the Bible really is God breathed, like if what Paul said is true, if it's really from God, and if the Bible is really the heart of God, if, if, if the Bible really is God talking, then it means, family, this. It means that the Bible always every day has ultimate authority over my life and your life. Amen. That's what it means. If this is true, that's what it means. Meaning, in other words, family, meaning I can't, I can't just look at the Bible and say something well, like, uh, you know, well, well, I read that part, I read that part, and I don't agree with that part, so therefore the Bible must be wrong. 
No, I can't say that. If the Bible has authority over me and over you, then instead what I have to do is I have to read the Bible and say something like, whoa, hold up. I don't agree with what the Bible says right there, so therefore I must be wrong. My bad, I must need to repent. I must need to change my mind because, because here's the deal. I don't get to stand in judgment over the word of God. The word of God gets to stand in judgment over me. This is what Paul means when he says all scripture is God. Breathe, do you see it? Do you see it? Do you see how big this is? So, so this is the powerful point that our boy Paul just made as we, as we get ready to get into chapter four. He made it at the, at the end of chapter three and now we get to chapter four and Paul says this. Look at verse one, family. Check this out. Paul says to his friend Timothy, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing and by his kingdom, now follow the time out for a second. I, I want you to see what's happening here in verse one. I know, I know we haven't finished the sentence yet. I know we're still going, but you gotta, you gotta get what's happening here because, because in verse one, follow the structure, man. In verse one right here, Paul is ramping up for what he's about to say next. What he's doing is this. He's trying to build up the anticipation of what's coming in verse two. He's, try, he's trying to emphasize how important what he's about to say is. And so what does he say to Timothy? Watch what he says. He said to Timothy, he said, Timothy, um, I'm about to tell you something really, 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 really important. In fact, brother, it's so important that check this out. One day, Jesus himself is going to judge you for whether or not you did what I'm about to tell you. Do you, you imagine how you, your ears might perk up to somebody if they said, hey, I'm about to tell you something. And by the way, Jesus is going to judge you for the thing I'm about to tell you one day. It's supposed, to, it's supposed to wet his appetite. It's supposed to build up the anticipation. He's saying, bro, I, listen to what I'm about to say. It is a big deal. And you're gonna be judged for whether or not you did this by Jesus. So now, watch this. So now the question that we're all asking, man, we're just kind of sitting on the edge of our seats going, well, what is it, man? What is it? What is this thing that according to Paul is so important that there's coming a day when Timothy will stand before Jesus and Jesus will judge him for whether or not he did it. What's the thing that's so important for young pastor Timothy to do? Well, the answer is in verse two. Check this out. Let me read verse one again. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead by his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the, what family? Word. Word. Preach the word. Preach the word. Let's, let's slow down and take this in for a moment, beloved, because, because Paul's, Paul's powerful message to young Pastor Timothy, who's trying to lead this church, trying to, trying to, uh, trying to minister to this church, trying to uh, be faithful in this church in the Greek city of Ephesus. And we already know from earlier on in this letter, things are hard, things are crazy. You got false teachers over here and people that don't like Timothy over here and people complaining over there. And the church is kind of, in, it's fractured and, and it's not going well necessarily for Timothy. And yet Paul's message to young Pastor Timothy right now is this. He says, Timothy, listen, just so you know, brother, your main responsibility as a pastor in that church is to preach the Bible. You got a lot of responsibilities there, man. You got a lot of things that you're supposed to do, but what matters most, Timothy, what Jesus is going to judge you for one day is that you preach the word. 
What your people need most from you is that you preach the word. What you should give primary attention to is that you are preaching the word. Paul says to Timothy, he says, listen, bro, tell the people in your church what this book says. And guess what? When you're finished telling them what this book says, tell them again. And tell them again, and tell them again, and tell them again, and tell them again. Preach this thing, Timothy, and Jesus himself is going to judge whether or not you were faithful to do this. You'll stand before Jesus and give an account for whether or not you preach the word of God to his people. Now, here's the deal, man. All right, so I emphasize that in order to say this. I want you, beloved, listen. I want you right now, just for a second, to think about what, what Paul did not say. He could have said anything he wanted to, right? He could say, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and, and by, in view of his appearing and, and his kingdom, I give you this charge, right? He could have said anything he wanted to. But think of the, all the things that Paul didn't say here. This would be fun. Think about this. Consider the fact, family, that Paul did not say to Timothy, hey, Timothy, brother, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will one day judge the living and the dead, I give you this charge. Entertain your people. Entertain it, brother. You got to keep them engaged, man. You got to keep them engaged. Like, I don't know if you, I don't know if you listen to sociologists, man. They got very short attention spans, okay? So, so, so here's the deal. You got to make it fun because we all know church isn't effective unless it's fun like Six Flags. And so uh, make sure that, make sure you got lots of things for the senses in here, like sensory overload for the people so they stay engaged. And brother, you got to make sure you got lots of lattes and lots of mochas and lots of frappuccinos and lots of smoothies and make sure to build a gigantic spinny slide in the kids' ministry with a giant panda bear at the bottom handing out candy to the new kids and, and and make sure, that, make sure that Pastor Jeremy does that new Kanye West song at the beginning of the service. People dig that, and that'd be funny to watch, you know, Jeremy doing a Kanye West song. And, and, and whatever you do, brother, whatever, Timothy, whatever you do, brother, whatever you do, don't, don't make the mistake of spending too much time in this thing. Because it's long, man. This is long. I mean, 66 books, how are you ever going to preach that, man? It's got big words. And then you're going to have to explain stuff. It's got difficult concepts. You're going to have to explain these concepts. And, bro, you can't do that because people get bored, and they'll be counting all the lights in the sanctuary. And, and at the end of the day, what they really want is get to the cake line at Golden Crow early. So you better not do that. got to keep them engaged. Family, listen to me. Paul could have said anything he wanted to at the end of his life. And he said, Timothy, in view of, like, 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 consider this. Jesus is going to judge whether or not you did this right here. Preach the word. Additionally, notice that Paul did not say, I love this. Notice that Paul didn't say to Timothy at this moment, he, said, he didn't say, uh, hey, Timothy, uh, listen, um, in the presence, you know, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, I give you this charge. Preach your opinions. Preach your opinions. Tell the people what you think about politics. Tell the people what you think about all of the hot button issues in society. And then after you told the people what you think, you can just flip through here, find a verse to back up what you think and give the people your opinions. Preach your opinions. Family, listen. He did not say that. What did he say? He said, preach the word. Additionally, isn't it interesting that Paul did not say to Timothy, I love this, he didn't say, uh, um, and some, you know, there's a lot of guys out there who need to get this memo, he didn't say, hey, Timothy, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, I give you this charge, intellectualize. Stand up there every Sunday 
and use really big words and talk about all of the really heavy books that you've read and refer to authors that no one's ever heard of in their lives and, 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 and use, use a crazy obscene amount of Greek and Hebrew and lots of dead languages so that at the end of the service, if nothing else, at least the people will stand in awe of how incredibly smart you are. And you know what? They'll never really understand what in the world you're talking about, but at least they'll be really impressed with the fact that you can say the words eschatological kingdom. Wow, he's so smart. It's not what he says, beloved. He says, preach the word. Timothy, preach the Bible. Timothy, Jesus is going to judge you for whether or not you preached the word. Additionally, family, notice that Paul did not say, in the presence of God and in the presence of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, I give you this charge, Timothy. Preach yourself. Preach yourself. Listen. Make the church all about you. Make the church all about your personality. Like put your mug, put your face on every postcard and like every billboard and all the promo material. Put your name in big old huge massive letters out on the sign and, and be the hero of every sermon illustration that you tell in your sermon and make the people in your church believe that that church could never ever possibly go on without your personality. That is not what Paul said. He, said. he said, Timothy, you will stand before Jesus one day and give an account for this. Preach the Bible. Preach the Bible. In other words, beloved, listen. In other words, what Paul's actually saying to Timothy right here is this. The point he's actually making is this. He says, he says listen, let the word do the work. That's the point. Timothy, let the word do the work. In your church where you pastor, let the word do the work. In that place where you minister, let the word do the work. That's what's most important, brother. Let the word do the work. It's about the word doing the work. Let the lion out of its cage and let it do damage. It's not about you getting in the way. Let the word do the work. Stay out of the way of the word. Like God's got this, amen? He doesn't need your help, right? I, I love what... I love what the late, great Martin Luther said back in the 16th century, man. Somebody asked him, um, somebody asked him about his role in the, in, the, in the Reformation and how, you know, God had used his preaching and God had so used his teaching and God had so used his writing to, I mean, change the history of the world, but, but really the history of the church, man, and kind of right this ship and things had gotten goofy and and somebody asked him one time, man, how do you feel about the fact that God used you? He used you to do all that stuff. And I love what, I love what Martin Luther says, man. It's so powerful. We'll put it up on the screen for you. Listen to what Luther said when I asked that question. He said, he said this. He said, I simply taught, preached, wrote God's word. Otherwise, I did nothing. I did nothing. The word did it all. I did nothing. I left it to the word but, now watch this, but it brings Satan distress when we only spread the word and let it alone do the work. I love that. I love that. And just so you know, beloved, can I just say this, just kind of parenthetical note here, just so you know, man, that's what we, by God's grace here at Emmaus Church, that's our prayer. Like, that's our, that's our prayer each week. That's our prayer all the time, is that that's exactly what would happen here in this church, in this fellowship, in this family, in this flock, man, is that, is that we, we, just wanna, we just want the word to do the work. 
Like we kind of know how goofy we are at the end of the day. We kind of know we ain't got it all together, right? And some of you will figure it out after a while. Some of you know it and you're still here, so thank you. But, but we kind of know that we've got deficiencies. We're sinners. We all have sinned and, and fall short of the glory of God. We all need Jesus, right? Nobody up in this church is perfect. Matter of fact, that's why Jesus came is because we all have sinned, right? And so we kind of get that. And so every Sunday, man, we just want the word to do the work. And this is why, just, you know, this is, for those of you who are asking, this is why typically, typically, I mean, I've heard, I've heard the rumor going around that sometimes our sermons are a bit long. Well, this is why. Can I just tell you something? This is why, like, like here's the deal. I just want you to know that, I mean, the reality is this. If your ultimate ambition on Sunday is to get to Golden Crow early, this probably ain't the church for you. It's probably ain't the church for you. Because typically up in here, sermons go about an hour and, and some of you nursery workers are like, no, an hour 20. I know, and we love you. We love you. Thank you, nursery workers. And we got you Starbucks cards. We keep a collection of Starbucks cards next door just for every time I preach late, which is basically every week, right? But can I say this? This is why typically we preach longer up in here. We ain't trying to be unique. We ain't trying to be cute. We're not trying to be different for the sake of being different. It's just the reason we preach longer, family, is just because honestly, just so you know, it takes some time in order to set up the rig and drill deeply into the word of God. It takes a minute or a hundred, right? It takes some time to drill deeply into the word of God because family, listen to me, this isn't Reader's Digest, it's the Bible. This isn't better homes and gardens, man, that we're trying to exegete, it's the word of God. And, and I don't know if you've noticed, family, but the awesome thing is this, our Lord, our great God and Father in heaven has some pretty amazing and powerful things to say to his kids. And family, at some point, we really need to step back and we need to, we, we need to take inventory of what the Bible actually is because at the end of the day, family, the, the truth is this. Our lives depend on what God said in this book. Our lives depend on what God has said in this book. Our eternities depend on what God has said in this book. Our families depend on what God has said in this book. Our marriages depend on what God has said in this book. Our futures depend on what God has said in this book. Our fruitfulness depends on what God has said in this book. And so, beloved, so the centerpiece of everything we do or say or sing up in here on a Sunday should always be the word of God. The moment some man comes up before you and bases this church on him or his thoughts or his personality or his opinions, you should ask him to leave. Let the word do the work. And so we preach it and we read it and we study it and we treasure it and we love it and we talk about it in our initial community groups every single week. And according to what our boy Paul says right here to Timothy, there is coming a day, family, think about the gravity of this. There is coming a day when every single preacher in the world will be accountable to Jesus for whether or not he taught the people this book. He preached the Bible. And then watch what he says here, family. He says, preach the word. And look at verse two, preach the word. <laughs> Be ready in season and out of season. You know what that means? Preach the Bible. Oh, and by the way, be ready when you feel like it and when you don't. It's a gut check, man. In other words, Paul's saying this. Paul's saying, Timothy, guess what? Being a pastor, it's a, it ain't a job, it's a calling. You don't clock in and out of this gig. This ain't a nine to five deal. Be ready, like here's the deal, be prepared to preach the Bible all the time at any time. 
And I was thinking about this, man. I was reading this past week, just kind of getting ready for this sermon. And I was thinking about the very first trip we ever took to Uganda. Uh, you know, this is back about four or five years ago. We, we sent our very first team from Emmaus Church to Uganda. It's only about 11 of us. And for those of you who don't know, we, we, um, the nation of Uganda is very near and dear to our church. And so there's a village in Western Uganda near Congo uh, called Kaihura that we are highly invested in as a church. By God's grace, long range planning. We wanna see a gospel-centered church planted in that village. Uh, there are families throughout this church. I think last count, there was just under 100 kids in Kaihura being sponsored by people of Emmaus Church. And we're highly invested in that village. Go there every year, right? We've got another trip coming in June. The first year we went, I remember we're there and... There's this man, a Ugandan man named Kenneth, who's always our, you know, always our liaison, always leads us. We love him. He's amazing. And Kenneth was with us and he told us, he told our team, he said, listen, today we're going to go to a clinic in Kaihura and we're going to see the clinic and I want you to see it and I want you to meet the staff and I want you to see what they do there. So we're like, okay, great. And so we follow Kenneth. Kenneth's like, okay, let's go. So we walk up this huge hill to the clinic and we finally get to the clinic and I'll never forget this, man. He leads our team to the clinic and we walk inside and then he leads us to this room and um, there's about 12 or 16 or so staff members. They're all sitting in chairs that were waiting for us to get there. And Kenneth brings us all into the room. He's got this huge smile on his face and he looks at the staff and he looks at us and he says, everybody, he says, these are our friends from Emouse Church. That's what they call us in the Ugandan accent. That's what he calls us. These are our friends from Emouse Church. And I love it, man. And then without missing a beat, here's what Kenneth said in his, his Ugandan accent. He said, he said, these are our friends from Emouse Church. And now Pastor Anson will preach. <laughs> and I looked at him, I'm like, I will? <laughs> he said, yes, Pastor Anson, now you will preach. And I'm thinking, I wish somebody would have told me that. Right? I could have brought a sermon. You know what I'm saying? And I, and I remember thinking, I remember thinking at that moment. Here's what I remember thinking. I remember thinking, I remember remembering this verse. Be prepared in season and out of season. And so thankfully I have a Bible and I'm like, okay, everybody open up to Mark chapter five. And let's hope this makes sense, right? We just went for it, man. We just went after it. Think about this. Be prepared in season and out of season. In other words, family, Paul's message to young Pastor Timothy is this. He says, hey, bro, listen, don't be lazy. Be ready. you like the Boy Scouts, man. Be ready to tell anybody and everybody what this book says and what this book means. And then he says this. Look at the rest of verse two. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Watch this. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Think about that. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort. You know what's fascinating about that? Um, two out of three of those things don't feel good. Think about that. Paul's like, Timothy preached the Bible. And guess what, man? Uh, you know, probably about 66% you know, of the time, there can be people leave from that sermon and go, I didn't really like that. That, that hurt. It was kind of like surgery. It was kind of like a scalpel, right? It, it was necessary, but, but it hurt. And sometimes the Bible's like that, Amen. I love what Spurgeon said. I'm going to totally butcher this quote and we didn't you know, bring it in here to put on the screen because the Holy Spirit just kind of gave it to me and that's always dangerous when I try to re-quote Spurgeon because I might make him a heretic. But um, I love what Charles Spurgeon said about this. Charles Spurgeon actually said something. He says, if, if you go to church and you always leave feeling good after the sermon, your pastor's probably not preaching the Bible. 
And then, and then, and then Paul says this, watch this. And now, now this is so huge. In, in verse three, he's gonna tell us why, watch it. He's gonna tell us why this is such a big deal that pastors preach the Bible, the whole Bible and nothing but the Bible. Why does this matter so much? Why is this important? Check this out, look at verse three, look what he says. He says, for the time is coming, let's see if, see if this isn't true, think about this. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And they will turn away from listening to the truth and they will wander off into myths. Now watch this, beloved. Get the gravity, get the weight of what Paul's saying. Paul's saying, Timothy, listen, listen, the reason you need to focus so much on, on preaching the truth is because we live in a world where there are a whole lot of people constantly preaching, teaching, and advancing lies. This is why this matters, bro. This is why you need to be a voice for truth. This is why you need to stand behind the Bible and just tell people what the Bible says, just constantly be preaching truth because, because we live in a world where lies surround us and where a whole lot of people are teaching advanced lies and unfortunately, sadly, tragically, a whole lot of people are far more drawn to the lies than they are to the truth. Isn't this how our sinful hearts work, right? Because think about it, man. The lies sound kind of good. This thing will satisfy you. This thing will bring you peace. This wing will take away your pain, right? I mean, the lies sound kind of good. And, and the lies, guess what the lies do? The lies appeal to our senses. And so we're drawn to the lies. The lies, the lies are telling us what we want to hear. Think about it, fam. Think about this. Have you ever noticed? Let's just be honest, man. Have you noticed this? Have you noticed that when, you're, when there's a moment when someone is telling you something that you don't want to hear, immediately what happens? Defenses go up. You notice that? You notice that? When it's parent, spouse, your kid, you know, somebody in your missional community group, somebody loves you, right, in your church. Wait, think about it. This always happens. Whenever you're in a moment when someone is telling you something you don't want to hear, immediately defenses go up. But guess what else happens? When you're in a place, when you're in a spot where someone's telling you exactly what you want to hear, what happens? Defenses go down. Collapse. I'm not thinking about what you're saying through a lens of wisdom. I'm not evaluating what you're saying. I just love what you're saying because it's exactly what I want to hear. Feed me. Give me more. Let's hang out. Can you do coffee tomorrow? Right? You notice this? This is how sin works, man. This is how sin works. This is why, you know, this is why Paul, <laughs> this is why Paul at that moment, you know, I think it's to the Corinthians, he says, man, a bad company corrupts good character. This is, why, this is why in the Proverbs it says, he who walks with the wise grows wise, but a companion of fools will suffer harm. Why does a companion of fools always suffer harm? Because the fools are just telling you everything you want to hear. It's the wise people who love you who are telling you what you need to hear, but you don't necessarily want to hear right? And Paul's message to Timothy is, bro, you need to be preaching truth and teaching truth so that people at the end of the day, at the very least, can discern truth from the lies. At least they'll know the difference. Even if they don't like the truth, they'll hear the difference. I remember back, um, it was about 12 years ago or so, man, we were, my wife and I were living out in California, and I was a youth pastor out there for a little over five years, and our oldest daughter was born out there, and I, I remember, um, it was this one Sunday night, okay? And um, 
I was, you know, decompressing from the Sunday of ministry and, and I was at the house and, and I, for some reason I was watching, I can't remember what channel it was, but I was watching this particular channel where this televangelist came on. And I, don't, I don't know if you've ever watched some of these televangelists, but it, it is, it's like, you know, it's, it's like a train wreck, I can't look away, right? It's like I have to watch this. Um, and, and I was watching this one particular guy he called himself a televangelist, and, and I, uh, he had this total gimmick, man, from the get-go. Like, he had this gimmick, and the gimmick was this. At some point, he looked straight into the camera, right? He's, he's talking to the camera, and at some point, here's what he says. He says this. He says, if you call my 800 number right now, I will send you a green prosperity handkerchief, and the Lord will prosper you. And I remember thinking, cool, free handkerchief. I could use a free handkerchief. So I called the 800 number, right? That's what I got to lose, man. <laughs> I, got to lose. I called the 800, seriously. I called the 800 number. I gave him my address. And like a week later, I got an envelope in the mail. And there was actually a green handkerchief in it. It was amazing, right? Like, cool, green hanky. Now, it wasn't made of the best material in the world, but okay, it's green. And, and I had the thing, and there was a note with it. And also a stamped envelope that you could mail back and, the note that came with the green hanky said this. Here's what it said. I wrote this down. It said, uh, it said, dear friend, if you send money to my ministry today, then within one year, the Lord will bless you 10 times as much as that you send me with, right? If, if you send money to me today, the Lord will bless you tenfold. He'll, he'll 10 different times multiply what you send in. And I'm thinking, man, that's like, that's, that's a pretty good, that's like, that's better insurance than the stock market. So I sent him a dime. <laughs> True story. I got a dime and I put it in the envelope and I sent it to him. And y'all, I still ain't seen my dollar. I'm just saying. A few months later, I got another letter. Got another letter. And this time, here's a, this time it changed things. Because this time the letter said that this guy, this particular man was coming to Sacramento, which is just like an hour away from where we were living. He was coming to Sacramento to do a prosperity conference. We call it prosperity conference. So I'm thinking, man, I gotta go. It said admission is free. I'm like, I'm there. I'm there. Um, and by the way, you know, you know, I was a youth pastor, so I didn't have much to do, right? So I'm like, well, I got time. Um, so, so I took the day off, and, and, and I went with a buddy of mine to Sacramento to this prosperity conference, and it was at a ballroom, little ballroom of a hotel, and I remember walking in with my buddy and family. Listen to this. We walked into that ballroom of that hotel that day, and, 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 and as soon as we walked in the door, here's what we noticed. As soon as we walked in the door, we could immediately tell we were the richest people in this room, and we weren't rich. But we can instantly tell at that moment, man, that this room is filled to the brim with a bunch of people who were like living in poverty. But, but here's the thing. They all came to this hotel. They all gathered in this place because this con man who was abusing the name of Jesus and hiding behind the name of Jesus and claiming that Jesus vouches for him is promising that they will become rich if they just have enough faith. And this guy, for two hours, man, for two hours, he sang a bunch of songs and he danced around in his expensive suit. And at one point, he even had everybody, true story, he even had everybody pull out their green hankies and spin them around, you know, over their head like a Green Bay Packer pep rally, you know. It was like crazy what was happening in that room, some of the stuff. And here's the thing, for two hours, beloved, guess what? For two hours, he never once touched the Bible. Not once. 
never once even referred to the Bible. And at the end of the night, guess what happened? You guessed it, at the end of the night, they passed around these big baskets and these people who were living in poverty, these financially struggling people filled those baskets to the top with the hopes that if they just had enough faith, they'd be able to maybe buy a car or send their kid to college. And the craziest part of it all was this, family. For two entire hours, these people were amazed. These people were in awe. And it didn't matter that this brother never even touched the Bible. And it didn't matter that this guy was teaching a bunch of lies. Because you know what? You know what? He was telling them exactly what their itching ears wanted to hear. And that was enough. Defenses were down. Just give me more. And just so you know, family, listen, just so you know, this is why our boy Paul tells Timothy, bro, listen, you gotta preach the word. You gotta preach the word so that people will be able to tell the difference between a truth and a lie. You gotta preach the word. Be that guy, Timothy. Be that pastor who actually stands behind the Bible and tells the people what God has said. Don't make stuff up just to get a bunch of Twitter followers. Don't make stuff up just to cash in and get lots of money. Don't make stuff up just to win a lot of people who approve of your message. That's not what pastors do. Pastors preach, and they preach this book. He's calling him to faithfulness, family. And then watch what he says, because things are about to shift. Check this out. So up to this point, it's been very... uh, it's been very pastor-centered, right? I mean, this is something you would teach to a bunch of, you know, a Bible college where pastors are in training, right? Up to this point, it's been very pastor-centered, but watch what happens in verse five because we get a shift now. It gets broader. Check this out. It gets broader. Look at verse five closely. Paul said all this, and then in verse five, and again, remember, these are his final words. He's about to die, and he knows it. Paul says to Timothy, as for you, always, don't miss that, Always be sober-minded. Endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Okay, and this is where I want us to slow down, beloved. This is where I want us to slow down. And I want us to think about what he just said. Think about these four things. Like, like there, there are four distinctives that, that Paul just called Timothy to. He said, as for you, Timothy, as for you, think about this, as for you, first of all, be sober-minded. And I want, you to, I want you to imagine the Lord saying this to you today, family. As for you, first thing, be sober-minded. Be sober-minded. You know what, you know what sober-minded means? Honestly, like the best way we could say it in our vernacular that we totally relate to in our language is this. The best way we could say it would be this. Uh, as for you, be cool. Be cool. Don't lose your head. Don't like lose your, don't go crazy, right? Don't get all emotional and like you're going through a hard time and you wanna blame God and you wanna walk away from God. As for you, in the midst of your circumstances, like be cool, be cool. Second thing he tells him, he says, oh, and endure suffering, right? Endure suffering. You're in a season right now that's hard. It's not easy. It's not necessarily going the way you want it to, but endure it. Take the shots you need to take without quitting, Beloved, how many many of you understand that sometimes being a follower of Jesus means you're just willing to take shots as they come without quitting Jesus? It's literally the definition of perseverance. 
Third thing he says, what did he say? He said, uh, do the work of an evangelist. I love that. In other words, in your circumstances, wherever you are, doesn't matter what season of life you're in, doesn't matter where God's got you right now, wherever you are, point people to Jesus. Every day, point people to Jesus. Remind people of Jesus. Don't forget about Jesus. And then the final thing he said to Timothy, did you see it? And I fully believe that this, you know, our God's good and our God's sovereign and our God's amazing in the way that he does and who could possibly you know, understand his ways. But I fully believe that some of you are here today by the sovereign grace of God because he wants you to hear this. What's the final thing he says to Timothy? He says, fulfill your ministry, right? Fulfill your ministry. I love, just just kind of as a side note, family, I love, I love that Paul says to Timothy right here, man, fulfill your ministry. Because what that actually means is this. What Paul's actually saying to our boy Timothy is this. He's saying, that, and this is a word for some of you in here. Paul's saying to Timothy this. Hey, bro, do what you've been called to do. Do what you've been called to do. Like, like pour yourself out in that place where you are, right? That place where you are right now, even if you may not like it, even if it's not comfortable, even if things aren't necessarily going the way that you'd like for them to go, pour yourself out in that place you are. Like focus there, focus there and complete the task that God has given to you. Don't quit, don't move on. Don't tap out. Don't look for a better opportunity elsewhere. Don't float your resume somewhere over here. Fulfill, Paul says, fulfill your ministry. Family, listen. Somewhere along the line, here's what we all got to understand. Just because you're in a season of life right now that may be hard, may be painful, and may not be convenient, that does not mean you're not exactly where the Lord wants you. Oftentimes, being exactly where the Lord wants you is the hardest place you could possibly be. Case in point, Paul in prison. Don't quit, don't move on. Fulfill your ministry. I I was reading an article this week, man, that said this. The article actually said that the, um, I don't know if you knew this or not, it said the average tenure for the average pastor at the average American church is 3.6 years. Do you know that? The average tenure for the average pastor at the average American church is 3.6 years, which just, you know, just, you know, uh, just kind of the insider trick of the trade, just, you know, is just about enough time for you to preach through all of the sermons you've ever written and then go somewhere else and start over. And I read that article this past week, man. I, I was thinking to myself, man, you know what? What a shame. What a shame that even, even pastors, man, even ministers of the gospel often don't know how to stay just in one place over a long period of time and just focus and just persevere and give their entire lives to one group of people. It grieves me, man, seriously. And, and here's the deal. I'm not saying that God doesn't sovereignly move people around and call pastors elsewhere. That's not what I'm saying. I don't want you to hear me saying that. But what I am saying is this. I, there, there are too many pastors out there who just things get a little bit hard and they move on and go somewhere else where they can start a new honeymoon. 
And you know what, family? Can I just say this? That is a microcosm of what every single one of us are tempted to do every day. Because let's just be real. Come on, let's just, let's just be honest, man. Um, we all, here's what we all have in the room. No matter how old you are, what you do for a living, who your family is, I promise you, here's what every single one of us has in common, beloved. We all have this tendency to want to tap out when things get hard, don't we? Can I get an amen for everybody? Tempted to quit, right? I mean, you know what I'm saying? We all do this, man. When things get rough, when things get hard, when things are not going the way that we would have planned, we're like, I didn't sign up for that, right? That's what we say. I didn't sign up for this, and we just want to quit. We all have this tendency. This happens sometimes in marriage. Which is why the divorce rate is where it is. Just a lot of people, man, there's just just a lot of people who were like, you know, why are you getting divorced? Well, things are just hard. Things are just hard, man. It got hard, but welcome to it. It's just people tapping out because it got hard. This happens sometimes in the church, right? This happens in the church. I mean, dude, listen, be honest. There's some people who change churches like they change pants, right? I didn't, I didn't like what he said. I didn't like what they did. I didn't like what they, you know, so I'll just, I'll just leave. I'm just done. And there's a church over there. Throw a rock and hit a church. There's one. Try that one out. It's just easy, right? I'm not going to work it out. I'm not going to try to reconcile anything. Just gone. Why? Because it got hard and we just wanted to, we just wanted jet. This happens in relationships all the time. This happens in relationships in the church. Let's not pretend that it, let's not ignore the fact that this happens in the church all the time. And some of, some of us in this room are guilty of writing other people in this room off simply because we didn't like what they said or we didn't like how they said what they said. And so we're like, they're done. I'm just cutting them off. They're just dead to me. I just can pretend I don't exist. I just avoid eye contact. We're, we're just done. We're just done. Why? Because it got hard. And so we quit. This happens in, when we're serving in a particular area, right? This happens all the time when we're serving in a particular area. Like when we are serving in a particular area of this church, and man, just like, okay, it's hard now. It's inconvenient now. There's a season where it's just really inconvenient to serve in this area. And so instead of like muscling through, persevering, enduring, suffering, you're just like, well, I'm just out. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just done. I'm just out. Let's face it, when things get hard, here's, here's, how, here's how we work. Here's how human nature works, man. When things get hard, we want to jet, right? When things get hard, we want to split. We want to take off. We want it to be over. And the very last thing we want to do when things get hard or inconvenient is to persevere or to endure suffering or to fulfill our ministry. But beloved, can I just tell you something? Can I just say something? I am really glad and really thankful that Jesus didn't quit. I'm just saying, man, like I'm really grateful as a, as, as a worshiper of Jesus saved by his grace. I am so thankful today that my Jesus did not give up when things got awkward and inconvenient. I'm really glad that Jesus didn't quit when it got hard, when the seasons were difficult, in the midst of the storm, that he didn't tap out. Like I'm, I'm really happy, really glad, really filled with joy that Jesus didn't say, whoa, hold up, hold up, hold up. I didn't know they were going to try to crucify me. I'm done. I'm done. I got to walk on water or something. I'm done. Beloved, I don't know about you, I am really glad that King Jesus fulfilled his ministry. And I'm gonna tell you something right now. The only reason that any of us in this room right now are actually saved by the grace of Christ is all because Jesus fulfilled his ministry. He did the hard thing. He stayed under the yoke even when it was difficult. He carried that cross even when it was hard. 
And family, I just want you to know, King Jesus is not just our God and Savior. He's not just our Redeemer, but he is also Christus exemplar, meaning our example, our perfect example. And Jesus should be an example for all of us in this, beloved. So, some of you, you're just, in a, you're just in a hard season, man. You're in a hard season. Maybe it has to do with your family. Maybe it has to do with, I don't know, rejection or how you feel. Or maybe it has to do with this church, kind of where you're at and things here. Or maybe you're... Some of you are in an adoption process and it's just really hard, right? Some, some of you are like... Whatever it is. Some of you are waiting for a job and praying for a job, going, what do I do? I don't know. Some of you are like called to a ministry, a particular ministry, and things just aren't going your way and it's not fruitful. It's just like, I'm not saying this is a word for everybody, but I'm saying this is a word for some of y'all, man. Here's the deal. Wherever you are, no matter how it feels right now, stay where you are. Stay where you are. Bloom where you're planted. And listen, beloved, listen, stop complaining about where God has you right now and start being a blessing there. Fulfill your ministry, man. Where's God called you? Like, like what has God called you to do? Is it to a particular ministry? Is it to... Is it, is it maybe a particular friendship, particular relationship? And yeah, man, things are awkward right now and things are difficult and things are hard in that friendship. But you know what? God's called you there and God wants you to deal with that the way that Jesus would deal with that. So stay under that yoke. Don't quit that thing, man. Is it to this church to finally fully connect and fully invest and fully buy in and, and give and, and be known and join and be a part of an MC and actually be part of the body life of this joint? Is that it? Bloom where you're planted, man. Is it, to, is it to the kids' ministry? Is it hosting a missional community group, opening up your home that God has given you that's beautiful and awesome and big and everything else, allowing people to come in and, and grow in their relationship with Christ? Is it, is it to your marriage? Is it to your marriage? Some of you men in here are tempted to commit adultery. You're thinking about it. Repent and stay where you are. Be faithful to the wife of your youth. Stay where you are. Bloom where you're planted. Stop thinking there's somewhere, something somewhere else out there that's better or more promising or more satisfying. Some of you ladies are tempted to do the same thing. Stay where you are. What's the Lord called you to? Is it to your kids as crazy as they can be, as goofy as they can be sometimes? Stay where you are. What has God called you to, family? Because here's the deal. Listen, here's the deal. Just so you know, whatever that thing is that God's called you to, whatever that thing may be, here's what the Lord would say to you about that thing today. Verse five, be sober-minded. Endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Point people to Jesus while you're here and fulfill your ministry. You're not done. Fulfill your ministry. A couple months ago, man, we, were, we had a, one of our Road to Emmaus membership classes. We got another one tonight happening. Two or three months ago, we, were, we had one of these, and Pastor Travis teaches them, and I kind of, you know, I'm there, and I just kind of sit in the back, and Travis you know, bears the weight of that thing. And I was sitting in the back, he was taking it all in, and then after it was over, this guy, this 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 new, newer guy who had come to the membership class walks up to me and pulls me aside. 
pulls me over into a corner in the room. We do it in over there. And I don't, I'll, I, honestly, like, I don't, even, I don't even know if he's still here. He, I haven't seen him, so maybe he jetted. Maybe my answer didn't, he didn't like. Um, but he, uh, he pulled me to the side to a corner, and he, said, he, said, he asked me this question. He said to me, he was kind of caught me off guard. He said, hey, man, hey, man, do you ever think, um, and, and by the way, here's what I've learned. Any question that's asked by someone, there's always a reason they ask it, right? I mean, there's always some baggage back there, and so I've kind of learned to see it through that, Greg. But he asked me this question. He said, hey, man, do you ever think that maybe someday you might move on to another church to be the pastor there? And, and now I feel bad because I looked at him like he was crazy, right? I looked, I looked at him like this, and I'm like, I literally said, I said, where am I supposed to go? Bro, I got nowhere to go. I got, seriously, like, I got nowhere to go. Like, 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 God started this gig in our living room. I got no plan B. I got nowhere to go. And besides, you know what I'm saying? I said, and besides, who would take me? <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know how these people put up with me half the time, right? Cool. In the nine, somebody said amen to that. And so we... Uh, church discipline. <laughs> I say that to say this, beloved, and I mean this. I mean this, man. My heart's desire, Lord can do anything he wants to. My heart's desire is by God's grace to fulfill my ministry right here. Right here. Now, now here's the deal. The question is this. Where has God called you to fulfill your ministry? Are you willing to take the shots, endure suffering, point to Jesus, and fulfill it? Let's follow Jesus. Don't quit because it gets hard. I'm so glad that Jesus didn't quit when it got hard. I'm so glad Paul didn't quit when it got hard. And I'm really glad Timothy didn't quit when it got hard. These words meant something to him, man. Now watch how Paul ends it. Look at verse six. Why am I in Philemon? Let me check. Okay, here we go. Verse six. Now remember, he's about to die and he knows it. Paul says, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering. And the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Beloved, pay attention to this. Please don't miss the gravity here. Again, Paul knows that he is about to die. Our dude Paul right here understands, man, he fully understands that he is about to draw his final breath. Like he doesn't know if it's going to be like in the next hour or the next two weeks, or the next month, but he knows, family, that he's about to draw his last breath. He knows it. Paul knows that the Emperor Nero is about to have him killed. He knows it. And yet, family, and yet notice, notice this. He's not freaking out. He's not losing his mind. He's not losing his cool. He's not denying his faith. He's not cursing God. He's not doubting his faith. But instead, what does he say? Look at verse six again. Look at what he says here. In the moment where he's staring death in the face, Paul says, I'm being poured out like a drink offering. Paul's saying, hey man, I'm about to die. I'm about to die. But you know what? My life's just an offering for Jesus anyway. Beloved, if none of us knows how long we got, right? None of us. None of us knows how long we got. But here's my question. If you got 30 years, or you got 50 years, or you got, you got the average lifespan of America, which I think is 78.6 years, whatever you got, no matter how much time you have in this life, are you able to say, man, my life is just an offering for him anyway? Yes. 
If it ends tomorrow, if it ends in 30, 40, 50 years, my life belongs to him anyway. Here's what I wonder. At your, think about this. At your funeral one day, and it's going to happen. At your funeral one day, will there be people standing around saying something like, uh, man, I, I knew her. And she poured her life out for Jesus. Like, that was amazing. Man, I, I, I knew this guy. I knew this guy. And I'm telling you, man, his life was an offering for Christ. Every day. Like, it affected me. It's affected me and how I view life. His life was an offering. I want you to think about this, beloved. At the, in the final moments of his life on earth, Paul says, dude, here's the deal. My life is just an offering for Christ. My life's just an offering for Jesus. That's all it is. He's in total peace. Now, here's what's so crazy about that, family. Man, we live in a culture where everybody seems to, like, be terrified of death. I mean, who are we kidding? Even believers, man. Even believers, even people in the church, worshipers of Jesus, we oftentimes are just so terrified at the thought of dying. Where What's going to happen and what's it like? And I don't know, I don't like it. I don't even want to even think about it, right? We're terrified at the thought of death. And so that makes this even more astounding because here's Paul and he's, he knows he's about to die. And, and yet he's, he's completely at peace. Completely at peace. So here's the question, beloved. Here, here we get, let's get to it. The question is this. How in the world could this brother Paul right here be so at peace in what he knows at the final moments of his life? How is that possible? How can he be staring death and essentially looking at his executioner every single day, knowing it's coming, and be so at peace to write words like this? My life's just an offering for Jesus. How can he be so at peace at this moment? Well, here's the answer. Don't miss this, family. Here's the answer. The reason Paul is so at peace in the face of death is because Paul knew beyond a shadow of a doubt, man, that even though the emperor Nero was about to declare him to be guilty and condemn him to death, Jesus was going to declare him to be righteous and grant him eternal life. This is what Paul knows. This is the source of his peace. This is why Paul can say, my life's just an offering for Jesus anyway. In the moments where he knows he's about to die, it's because he knows that even though Nero is going to declare that he's guilty and condemn him to death, Jesus is going to declare him to be righteous and, and invite him into eternal life. And, and just so you know, family, watch this. Just so you know, there's actually a huge huge point for us here, a really critical point that we need to get. There's something that matters for us here. There's a message we need to get from this, and it's this right here, family. The, the lesson we're being taught here is this. Family, listen. Your true identity today is found in Jesus, not in what the world says about you. Hear me, man. Your true, real, like, like true, real, authentic identity right now is found in Jesus, not in what this world thinks about you, not in what this, this world says about you. Matter of fact, family, here's the reality. Even if the whole world were, de were to declare you to be guilty and unworthy and unlovable and unsavable, if Jesus has declared you to be righteous, then you are righteous. Now, Conversely, conversely, 
even if the whole world declares you to be good and worthy and, and valuable and, and worth listening to and worth following and deserving and all of those other attributes and virtues, even if the whole world declared you to be all of those good things, if Jesus Christ himself declared you to be in your sin and condemned to hell, you are in your sin. And I say that in order to say this, family. There is only one way to be declared righteous by Jesus, and that is to trust in his finished work on the cross. And if you're here this morning, man, and you're like, I've never trusted in Jesus and bowed my knee to Jesus and confessed him as Lord and, and turned from my own ways and stopped trying to be my own God and do my own deal, but instead surrendered to him and allowed him to be the authority of my life, if you've never done that, then here's the good news. Today, right now, you can trust in the good news of the gospel that Jesus lived the perfect life on your behalf, that he died the death that you deserve to die on a cross in order to give you the gift that you could never earn, eternal life, and he rose from the grave, defeating death, defeating hell, defeating the devil, so that you could walk in victory over sin. And if you trust in that message today, if you trust in Christ today, you will be saved and declared righteous by God. That's the good news of the gospel. Salvation is by grace through faith, man. At some point along the line, here's what we all got to understand, man. Every single one of us in this room are goofy, amen? Every single one of us in this room are goofy. We're sideways sinners, Right? Right? I mean, be careful. I know some of y'all. I will call you by name, right? <laughs> and you'll call me by name. The hero we have is Jesus, y'all. Paul finishes up by, by saying this in verse eight. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Can I get a hallelujah from all the saved people in the house, right? Paul said, the Lord's gonna give me the crown of righteousness, which, you know, if, if there was a period there instead of a comma, no, none of us would question that. We'd be like, of course, Paul gets it, right? I love that there's a comma. He says, and not only to me, not only to me, not only to me, also to everybody who loves the appearing of Jesus. Which, by the way, tells us another thing, and it's this. One of the defining characteristics of a true follower of Jesus is this. You love it when Jesus is in the spotlight. You love it when Jesus gets the attention. You love it when Jesus gets the applause. You love it when Jesus gets, gets the adoration. You love it when the songs are about Jesus. You love it when the message is about Jesus. You love it when the talk is about Jesus or the lesson is about Jesus. Even the name of Jesus causes you to smile. That is one of the true characteristics of a follower of Jesus because you in your saved, redeemed state are longing for the appearing of Jesus. And maybe all, may we all, long for the appearing of Jesus. Let's pray together, family. Let's pray together. And as we pray, in this next song, we're going to have an opportunity, as we do every Sunday, beloved, to participate in the Lord's Supper, communion, the tables on the side of the room, each side of the room. For those of you who are new, now no, here's the thing. The Bible's clear that these tables are set up for worshipers of Jesus. So if you're our guest today and you're like, man, I'm just kind of kicking the tires on this gig and I wouldn't call myself a Christian, I wouldn't say my faith is in Jesus for my salvation, then 
you say this in love, but these tables are not for you. I say that because the Bible says that. You know, this is for the family of God. If you're here today, though, you trusted Jesus as your great God and Savior, and you love him, and you're desperate for his grace, and we invite you in this next moment, after you have had a moment, just to talk to the Lord and be with the Lord. Maybe you repent of some sin. Maybe you want to go to the back where our prayer team is by the cross and be prayed for invite you to go to these tables. And as you take, listen, beloved, as you take the bread and as you dip it in the cup, would you remember that Jesus fulfilled his ministry? He fulfilled it. Even when it was hard, even when it meant his life, he fulfilled it for you and he fulfilled it for me. All praise be to King Jesus. Lord, I pray right now for us Some of us are in a season right now where it's just hard. It's just really hard. And we're tempted to quit. We're tempted to walk away. But could it be, Lord, that we're exactly where you want us to be? And maybe, Lord, maybe, maybe you've even allowed it to get hard so that we could be even more desperate for you. And so would we not quit? Would we stay? And much like Paul, would we keep our eyes on you? And in the end, Lord, in the end, in the end, when all is said and done, would we by your grace be able to say, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I kept that faith. Thank you, Jesus. I pray all these things to your matchless name, Lord.